Okay, Paul, my friend. It's it's time to get real, get a little bit serious. Look, you have told me in the past, and we've we've been meeting for a while now. But you've been telling me that reading your DC comic books makes you feel youthful, makes you feel young and vibrant and alive. Um, don't you really think that it's more a case of you're just being a little bit immature? No, no, I, I think I, I just maintain my youthful spark. I, you know, I've got a good attitude about life. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just young at heart. I'm, you know, I'm fun. I'm fun. I'm good. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's great. Uh, yeah, you say this, but I'm not seeing a lot of maturity there. Not, not at all. Shut up. I hate you. DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're going through every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths all the way up to in order by date. Um, we're not sure where we're going to get to, but we have arrived in the year 2000, and we're going to be looking at Young Justice Sins of Youth this week. And I'm joined by... A, are you a first-time podcaster? I am a first-time podcaster, yes. <laughs> I've listened to many, but I've never been on one. Wow. Okay, so I'm joined by Matt Natsis, who is uh, uh, someone who I met on Twitter who was tweeting about Young Justice Sins of Youth once, and that was enough for me to latch onto him and <laughs> say, you should come on my podcast and talk about it. So so welcome, Matt. So, um, yeah. Thank you. How did you come to enjoy Young Justice? Oh, man. Uh, I owe Young Justice, uh, like... I should say DC Comics kind of owes me uh, <laughs> uh, with their with my becoming a fan of comics was largely because of of Young Justice. Uh, I I got into comics kind of th- a roundabout way through the Batman animated series and started picking up Robin and met this totally different Robin than from was in the cartoon. It was Tim Drake and I I just immediately just loved this character and lo and behold not a few months after i started reading the robin comic book another comic book hits the stores and it has robin in it and he's also joined by these other characters that i really didn't know at the time and it was young justice number one and i picked that up and it became my favorite series it introduced me to so much of the dc universe uh, I love the humor. I love the tone of the book that uh, Peter David uh, drew, uh, wrote, uh, wrote and uh, Todd Nock and Larry Stucker with the art. Uh, I adored this series, and I still do. Uh, 
it shaped kind of what I expect and what I uh, find most entertaining in comics. Wow. And, I mean, this is very timely, this episode, because uh, Young Justice has just returned to uh, the screens with the, the new cartoon series picking up where it left off on uh, mm-hmm. Netflix in Australia, and I think it's uh, on DC Universe in America. And... It's also on the stands again. There's a brand new Young Justice comic on the stands right now by Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, oh it's been too long, and it was very good. We can we can talk about that uh, in a bit, but uh, I I quite enjoyed it. But this event, it uh, as you mentioned, Peter David was uh, the driving force behind this. So most of it, uh, well, the the opening and closing chapter written by him, and the art on those was by Todd Nuck and Larry Stucker, and lettered by Ken Lopez, and coloured by Jason Wright. But there are all sorts of specials in it, so really you've got um, the bookend chapters, which is Young Justice Sins of Youth Issue 1, which opened it, and Issue 2, which closed it. But in between there were, I think it's eight specials, uh, which sort of... Uh, showed what happened in the series to different characters and there's a Superboy issue I believe and there's a Secret Files so uh, yeah what do you think it's about Matt do you want to tell everyone (laughs) sure so the issue starts off uh, with a plot line that had been building throughout the Young Justice book to that point which was that uh, adults, su- superheroes, and, and really the, the community at large were starting to not trust the young heroes to kind of be on their own, and the young heroes were getting frustrated about it. You know, it's kind of a classic uh, comic teen hero uh, plot. Uh, and the, the first thing right away that we're introduced to here is Young Justice versus Old Justice. Old Justice being a group of like golden age sidekicks who had grown up. So they're like old men and women now. And I think it was kind of just originally an idea that was born out of a pun, but uh, it, it worked. It, it, it kind of uh, sets this all up here. So there's a big confrontation at the start, big fight at the start, but ultimately they have to, they, they, they calm down. They get over this misunderstanding and wonder girl, Cassie Sandsmark decides and she kind of steps up in front robin is technically the leader but this was kind of during the era of dc comics where batman was pretending to be an urban myth so robin also had to pretend to be an urban myth so he steps into the all-concealing shadows and wonder girl becomes the face of the team and she announces this public event this uh justice for all event and really was just trying to put forward this good faith thing to show that these these young heroes are, are there for the good of the community and they're working together and they're mature enough to do this and it's a call out to all these other heroes to come in so we've we've set up this event where we've got not only a bunch of young heroes showing up but people like the Justice League like the Justice Society like Captain Marvel and, and the Marvel family are all, all flying in to support at this event in I think Washington D.C. Big old rally. In the meantime a separate plot was going on in the Superboy books, and I'm not as familiar with this one, but basically when we pick up uh, this organization called the Agenda, I think, are in the middle of trying to take over the Cadmus Institution, and their whole plan is falling apart. Nothing that Superboy is, is foiling this, uh, which is strange because Superboy is also being seen in Young Justice at the same time. The uh, leader, the evil leader of the agenda, activates her plan B, who happens to be Clarion, 
bum 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 the witch boy clarion comes in and he is he's a total wild card but apparently that's what this contessa lady wanted jumping ahead to the to the rally you got all these heroes in the same place you've got adults and people complaining uh you've got the government trying to shut them down and a bunch of chaos starts happening, and right in the middle of that chaos, here comes Clarion, and with a magic spell from his hands, he changes a bunch of the adult heroes into children. And one of the members of Old Justice, the former sidekick of the original Green Lantern, has in his hat what he thinks will be a solution to this, a aging gun, he shoots it. Clarion tries to uh, cast the spell again. Everybody gets hit. And all of a sudden you have all of the young heroes are now adults. All of the adult heroes are now kids. And that really starts off the event. Um, I'll try and, and pick up the pace here. Basically for all of the intervening issues, the, the eight specials and some of the side stories, the basic plot is everybody kind of splits up and they go their own ways uh, in kind of teams of two. So you have like the now adult impulse teamed with the now young uh, Flash. You have Bat-Boy teaming up with adult Robin and so on. And everybody goes to try and find their own solution to the problem. Uh, and I'll kind of get back to that when we talk about the reactions to it. But ultimately after none of those solutions work for the most part, uh, everybody kind of gets brought back together. And the the most successful thing that they do is, I think, I, I want to say, uh, the young dead man and the adult secret end up stealing Clarion's cat, Tickle. And that's what kind of ticks off Clarion and gets his attention. We come to the last issue Big fights, big splash pages. Todd Knock loves the, the, the pages with lots of characters. And uh, ultimately, they trick... Uh, well, they, they don't really trick him. They, they entice Clarion to switch sides to come back over to them, uh, especially when it was revealed that Contessa and the Agenda were planning to double-cross Clarion as well. And uh, in the end, everybody gets turned back to normal. Uh, but some major things do happen. Uh, some uh, 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 side character in Superboy, or actually I shouldn't say a side character, one of the main characters in Superboy actually dies in the tie-in issue, uh, which I still I still think is a little, <laughs> little much. Uh, yeah, that was one of my big deals, because it was such a shock. I mean, I read Superboy at the start of the series, um, and I remember that, you know, Tana Moon, I think, was one of the main characters, and like Superboy's mm-hmm. girlfriend, and she just get, you know, casually killed in the middle of this crossover oh. in a side book. Yeah, I, I, I made a note of that because I, I did want to come back to that. Uh, but ultimately, in the end, uh, everybody's changed back to normal. They kind of gain a new appreciation for each other. The kids kind of understanding the adults, the adults understanding the kids. It, it kind of was just intended to be this, this one-off fun event for the most part uh and then on the last page uh here comes lobo who was still stuck as a child and that's where the event ends so (laughs) it's it's a it's it's much more of a wild ride than even what it sounds like because each one of those tie-in issues is kind of its own separate adventure with the pairings uh that that it has in it whereas the the overall plot admittedly kind of thin but I got to tell you, 
I love this event. Rereading it again just kind of reminded me how much fun I had with it the first time. And even though I can see a few issues with it, I still score it pretty highly. <laughs> okay. So um, with the event, do you think anything really came from it that lasted or, you know, stuck around? Well, kind of the, a couple of things do matter. Uh, one thing I, I glossed over, even though I talked forever, but I still <laughs> glossed over this. Superboy himself, one of the kind of plots throughout Young Justice and his book was that he wasn't going to grow up. He was a clone that was stuck at that age. And comic book time moves slow enough that that might not have been an issue that you could really see until they did something like this, where all of a sudden everybody grew up and Superboy didn't. After a bit, he does actually grow up. Uh, the magic kind of comes through or, or whatever, but... Uh, you had him kind of having to face the fact that he had this, uh, these, all these powers now. He's, he, uh, was an adult. He thought he would never be an adult. So this was kind of a, there was a lot here for Superboy. I could see why they, they spent an issue of his comic, uh, crossing over with this event. And kind of the other big thing that happens that lasts is Lobo. Uh, what could have just been a last page joke of the fact that the main man was now the top teen actually did continue. Lobo stuck around in the Young Justice book as uh, at first Lil Lobo. And then a year later at the next event that happens, the uh, Our World's at War, uh, something happens to him then and he becomes Slowbo. And he still sticks around in the Young Justice series all the way to the final issue. So uh, at the very least, the one thing that really stood out that continued on uh, was Lobo's presence in the book. So what was your favorite bit of this whole event? I mean, is there any moment that you just went, good golly, that's the best thing ever? <laughs> um, I really like the bookend issues, the, the start and the finish, uh, particularly when it just all goes down. Uh one of my favorite recurring gags that they don't even highlight is Kyle Rayner when he's a, a, a kid. Every panel he's in, he has a new costume. <laughs> he, he keeps giving himself a different Green Lantern costume every time. I just thought that was really cute. And uh, I think my kind of my favorite tie-in issue was probably the uh, Impulse and Flash or maybe the Wonder Girl-Wonder Woman uh, pairing. Uh, th those were kind of the, some of the highlights that I like. Some of the tie-in issues were, were stronger than others, but all of them were, were fun in their own way. Yeah, and that um, Wonder Girls issue was written by Brian K. Vaughan, you know, comic superstar now. Oh, I actually did not know that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, this was when he was, um, you know, just kicking around DC, doing little bits and pieces when they, they came up um, before he launched Why the Last Man and yep. sort of became a superstar. So. Yep. I totally missed that. I see that now in the credits, sure. <laughs> All righty. Um, well, shall we get into the scoring? So the way this works is we, um, we've got four categories for scoring, and we do it for eventiness, and we do it for writing, <laughs> and we do it for art and covers, and we do it for impact and legacy. And you and I, Matt, because we're main OCD people this week, um, we both contribute our score out of 10 for each of those categories. And I've got uh, Tim Price, who's going to be our semi-OCD, and he will give us his scores. Um, then we uh, He does them out of 10, but then we halve his score. So we end up with a total out of 100. So, okay. Yeah, so getting into it, event. Now, 
I, I this is a different type of crossover. I mean, it happened over three weeks, but um, traditionally we've had crossovers that take place in annuals or they pull in regular issues of the comic, whereas this actually generated its own specials to uh, to show what was mm-hmm. happening with the JLA and Aquaman and uh, the, the JSA and Wonder Woman, um, Superman, etc. So it's a different type of approach. And I think it has its pluses and minuses. Like, it, it sort of sat separate and... I really, I didn't get into this event as it came through. I didn't read the main issues or anything. I bought JSA issue because I'm a sort of Starman completist at the time, um, <laughs> sure. and, and I bought the JLA one too, pretty much for the same reasons that I, you know, I was following the JLA very closely and I wanted to see if anything happened. Um, but there was one I bought just because the art looked amazing, and that was um, the Secret and Dead Boy issue. But yeah, for me, this is a first time read for all. So it, it does have the sort of DC Universe scope, but it feels uh, very self-contained. So for that reason, I, I'm giving it a five. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Well, you know, after, and this might be because I haven't been really satisfied with a lot of recent events in comics to the point where I'm almost just saying like one of my new year's resolutions for 2019, maybe to just not buy any events this year. Uh, that said <laughs> now going back and reading this, I just was warped right back to uh, 2000 and grabbing all of these comics off of the shelves. I, I did read these at the time. Uh, even the ones that I was not reading regularly uh, because it was a young justice event. I was there for this and I kind of like the fact that it felt big, but not all-encompassing in a way that it can be kind of obnoxious sometimes. It felt like an adventure, but like you said, self-contained. And I don't know, I that really that really means something. And I don't mean to, to jump the gun here, but it's the exact opposite feeling I had reading Our Worlds at War. Uh, a year from now, <laughs> uh, which I know I'm not, I'm not on that episode, but uh, I did not like that event because it felt like it went on too long and it went in too many things. Uh, so I guess my bias just, I just like this more. Uh, I ended up giving it a nine out of 10 basically because of that. Uh, not only is it, was it a self-contained fun adventure, but it revolved around my favorite team in comics. I couldn't really ask for a better event than that. Huh. Okay, what about the writing? Where do, where do you think the writing sits? <laughs> the writing was a little inconsistent, admittedly, between the the various issues. Some I really liked, others not so much. Unfortunately, that, that JSA picture, uh, issue you picked up, uh, I thought was one of the weaker ones, just because it's, it's almost so out there in the middle of this story. They go to another planet, and it's like the 1930s on this planet. It's a little high concept for just one quick issue. Uh, at the same time, it's still fun, though. Uh, I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10 for the writing, uh, because, you know, when it hits, I think it really hits. I loved Clarion. I liked the... Uh, basic plot of the whole thing and kind of just the chaos excuse and I just had fun with it so I'm, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10 actually that issue that takes place on another planet I think that was set up in Green Lantern Quarterly where they showed that uh, Doiby Dickles, who's um, Alan Scott's ex-sidekick, he ended up in, on space and you know he became like a Flash Gordon on this planet. Yep, yeah. I think you're right. 
Yeah, they they do explain that. I just I wasn't reading that at the time, so it really did kind of come out of nowhere to me. <laughs> yeah, um, I gave the writing a six. Uh, I thought on the whole, there's some really good writers involved, like um, Dan C. Johnson and Chuck Dixon does the Bat Book, and uh, Jeff yep. Jeff Johns and Carl Keese, of course, maintains the Superboy stuff, um, and Brian K. Vaughan, as we said. Um, some of it wasn't as strong, maybe like um, Ben Rubs. Uh, Aquaboy Lagoon, no, Aquaman, Aquaboy Lagoon Boy, Lagoon Man. There you go. Yep, Lagoon Man, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very confusing swapping roles. <laughs> I know, I, I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I really like the, um, the secret Dead Boy issue. That was really cool. Um, but the, the opening and closing chapters, I thought they were kind of okay. But I mean, some of the writing, it got a bit tedious with the, a lot of the people who got turned into kids. Uh, sort of just had one one mode, and that was like horny teenager. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but um, plot-wise, I mean, it really is like there's eight adventures in the middle of this story, and the story um, is mainly told in the opening and closing. So, yeah, I, for that, I'll give it a six. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, as for the art and the covers, uh, this is wildly all over the place, I'd say. like um, It really is. Yeah, there's some really bad art in the opening chapter. Like, there's some... There's shots of Aquaman with his beard, and it looks like it looks like his face is drawn tiny to fit in amongst the beard. It's it's quite odd. But other other chapters were fantastic, like uh, Michael Avon Oming's his um, Secret Dead Boy special. That was terrific art. Like that was really good stuff. Um, that was my favourite chapter of the whole thing, art wise. And other stuff is kind of solid. Nothing amazing particularly, but um, yeah, I do like the covers by Mike Ringo um, across the board. Like the, they've got yes. a sort of a landscape design where you can turn them all sideways and look at them that way instead of the normal upright way. Um, and the good, you know, the, the standard format theme which was maintained and look and feel for the covers with the, the logo on one side and characters on the other side. So I really like that. So yeah, I'm falling in for six for the art and covers. Okay. What about you? I. So Todd Nock is one of my favorite artists in comics. So I actually really like the art in the first and last chapter because he's the the main Young Justice artist. Uh, the guy's a workhorse. He did almost all 55 issues of that series, plus specials like this. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't know where they are, but I do know that he always hides Mystery Science Theater 3000 references in his art, too. So if you're ever reading a Todd Nock book, you can always look for one of those references anyway though i so i really like that but i uh that art like i said he does such a great job with giant multi-character fight scenes splash pages uh so i i really got a kick out of that the inner books like you said they it does very wildly i think probably my favorite of the inner books might have been the the justice league book which I'm looking at here was drawn by Kitty Carlo Barbary. I just liked the kind of wild, young look that it had, kind of flowing and and Kitty and all that good stuff. Uh, but some of the weaker art, I didn't really like the Aquaman chapter. Uh, the Super Superboy Superman chapter, I think, probably has the weakest art of them all, which is not great because that's a very important chapter in the story. And I don't know, even now I look at it and I'm like, Ooh, I do not like the way that this looks. That's Rob Haynes. It's got a very sparse look and a bit uh, like it's 
from animation cells rather than uh, comic pages. Yeah, yeah, it's very flat. Not not a fan of that one, but I do like I do like the one that you cited, the dead uh, dead boy and secret. Uh, again, kind of kind of crazy, cartoony, flowing. It kind of just captures the chaos of the event, and specifically that chapter. So yeah, I do I do enjoy that. Anyway, my score for art. Oh, I wanted to talk about the covers too. I'm just going to echo your thoughts, uh, Mike Rorengo, Great covers. I love the consistent theme. That's actually something I really like in events uh, when you can tell like, Oh, all these books go together and just the simplicity of the white backgrounds and the spotlight characters in the front. A uh, big fan of the covers. So I'm going to end up giving the art and covers a seven out of 10. Okay. So what about the impact and legacy? How do you feel for that? This event was a very good time. Uh, I really liked it. Did it have a lasting event? Unfortunately not. Uh, one of the things I, I didn't even highlight in the plot summary is what is supposedly the main thrust of why this Contessa woman is doing this. Uh, she throws everything into chaos. She, at one point, does manage to capture the youthful Wonder Woman and Superman. Uh, and in their weakened state, she's able to acquire Kryptonian DNA and Amazon DNA. And it looks like it's going to be this huge deal. If it was a huge deal in another book, I couldn't tell you, but it definitely never came up in Young Justice again. I can tell you that much. So there, there, you know, that that's kind of unfortunate. I felt like they they kind of dropped the ball on on that one. Uh, but there was one thing that happened on the very last page of this book, uh, leading up in the in the final issue. They they have Clarion turn everyone back, and then right before he leaves, he says the very peculiar phrase. Everybody on Earth has been restored. And one of the characters catches that that's a weird way for him to say that, but then he disappears as he leaves. And then on the very last page, who comes down from space but the main man himself, Lobo, except he's no longer the main man. He is the top teen still stuck as a teenager. And that's where the event ends. But that actually would continue in Young Justice where Lobo, Lil Lobo, would be one of the uh, main characters on the team. Uh, and that would last all the way through the 55th issue. At one point, he goes through a transition to become sort of a different character than Lobo, named Slobo. It's a, it's a long story. Uh, but regardless, that did have an impact. So Local and temporary. Yes. Yeah, I would definitely say that. The one thing, though, and I this might be a total coincidence, but there is a character in... Teen Titans now, who is a young version of Lobos. I think they're they're saying Lobo's daughter or something like that. Uh, but every time I look at this character, her name is Crush. I can't help but think of the young Lobo from the end of this series. Again, might just be a coincidence, but I'm going to count it. So I'm giving this a lasting impact of a five out of ten. Oh wow! Okay, um, I. I couldn't see much that lasted very long, so I sort of went with two, um, and the two is sort of um, in case I've got a blind spot and I missed it, really. So uh, that's a just-in-case score for me on um, Mm -hmm. Impact and Legacy. But let's hear from Tim and hear what Tim had to say. Hello, Paul and Dr. Herpa Sandwich. I've just had a relapse of DCOCD myself, and maybe talking with you will help me sort it out. Thinking about DC events makes me feel like a kid again. 
Oh, that makes one event perfect to discuss. Young Justice, Sins of Youth. I collected Young Justice from issue number one and loved this series. Peter David was writing great stories. Todd Nuck's art was ideal for youthful protagonists. And I couldn't get enough of the new generation of DC heroes. Young Justice's stories were fun, but with real stakes and serious drama, a balancing act that Peter excelled at. Nonetheless, it's pretty amazing that a comic not yet two years old could be the focal point of an event. But I feel the need for a little disclaimer. While I enjoy this event a lot, I consider it kind of a popcorn movie style event. It's there to be enjoyed, but not be too deep. I'll try to be fair in the scoring, but this is an event that's not trying to be the next crisis. Just do some fun stories. A little bit vanity project and kind of an occupier, but not really, as I'll get into shortly. All right, eventiness. The story spun directly out of storylines from both Young Justice and Superboy comics, and Sins of Youth is required reading if you filed either of those books, to be sure. And it pulled in plenty of characters, some very interesting and surprising, like Dead Man, Anarchy, and the Marvel Family, but it didn't have true tie-ins to other DC books, so it felt disconnected from the rest of the DCU. Peter David did slip in a scene for Aquaman as a nod to his completed run for us fanboys. Then there are stories in the special issues, which were very one-and-done, which isn't bad, but works against feeling like this is a company-wide event. So I give eventiness a four. For the writing, I'm quite torn on this point. The somewhat simplistic young personalities of the regressed heroes got a bit... old. Yeah. Sometimes the personality fit the character, but not always. Like young Superman being impatient and annoyed by everything. That really got old. On the other hand, lots of the young heroes were just darn funny, especially the young version of the JSA. And I got the sense the writers were given the chance to let loose and have a good time doing something different with these familiar personalities. So for pure creative freedom and the solid storytelling from Peter David, writing gets a 7. On the covers and artwork... There was a definite style for most of the stories, exemplified by Mike Wieringo's covers. Sidebar, I love Ringo's art. He has gone far too soon. I miss you, Mike. Todd Nuck's chapters were on point as always. Likewise for Tom Grummet's work on Superboy. Tom Grummet does not get enough credit for how much he nailed the look for Superboy and Robin during this era. Some of the other artists, not so much. The Superman Jr. Superboy Sr. issue really didn't work. But then there's favorites of mine, like Scott Collins and Norm Brayfogle. And then Carlos Barberi, drawing very much like Umberto Ramos, THE impulse artist. We have John Jones with an enormous head, feeling very much like Marvin the Martian, which was awesome. But the real shocker was the horribly angry clarion, Bum Bum Bum, The Witch Boy, by Michael Avon Oming. I've been intimidated by clarion since Alan Grant's The Demon, but never like that last page when Secret and Dead Boy catnapped Tickle, his cat familiar. Wow. The art gets an 8 from me. All right, moving on. Legacy and impact? Honestly, no lasting impact from this event. This was a Young Justice Superboy story, and those comics are the only ones where this event even mattered. Events were used throughout the rest of Young Justice's run, like Little Lobo, eventually becoming Slobo, joining the team, but as been said about other events, it just sort of happened. So only gets a three for Legacy. So in summary, Eventiness 4, Writing 7, Art 8, and Legacy 3, for a total of 22, making the semi-OCD score 11. 
Now that I've been a semi-OCD twice, does that make me an honorary full OCD? That's good, right? I think. Thanks for bearing with my ramblings, and keep those events eventing. Thanks for that, Tim. Okay, so let's add all these scores up. So, Matt, you've got uh, a 9, a 7, a 7, and a 5, which adds up to 28, I believe. And I gave it a 5, a 6, a 6, and a 2, which adds up to 19. That makes me sound mean, but I'm not very mean. No, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Tim gave it a 4, a 7, an 8, and a 3, which is all over the place for Tim. Um, And as he said, that's 22 and half that to 11. So we add them all together. And that gives us a total score for this event of 58 out of 100, which is very respectable. So um, that's higher than zero hour, I believe. So, wow. (laughs) Well, that surprises me. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we'll take a promo break and then come back for the end of the show. Can you believe it, Jay? Young Justice is back! The Cartoon Network show from five years ago? Uh, No, yeah, that too. I I, I mean the comic book. Oh, cool, a comic book based off the Cartoon Network show? No, yeah, I mean that too, but but not that. the 1998 Peter David run. No, yeah, kinda, I mean... This is gonna get confusing. Wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to say that there's a brand new comic book series written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason, along with a new season of the animated show on the DC Universe streaming app, and a digital first comic that fills in the gaps between seasons two and three? Yes. I mean, yes. Sounds like we need a podcast to keep all this straight. (laughs) That's what I've been trying to say. Well, say it. The new podcast, Everyone Loves Young Justice, will spin out of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake as a sister podcast following the adventures of Tim Drake and his new team, Young Justice, with members like Superboy, Impulse, Wonder Girl, Arrowette, a Red Tornado, the Justice Cave, Miss Martian, Blue Beetle, Shazam, the Supercycle, Ginny Hex, Teen Lantern, Jay, Jay! What? (laughs) One thing at a time, man. Oh, sorry. We will start right where it all began in the pages of the 1998 Peter David run. And we will alternate between that and the new Brian Michael Bendis 2019 run. While also discussing the DC Universe animated series and tie-in comics. We are part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcast network. We can be found there or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to cover all aspects of Young Justice. Man, I love Young Justice. I know. Everyone does. Oh, I get it. (sighs) Okay, so yeah, Young Justice Podcast. That, that's timely and cool, and hopefully everyone will check that out. I know I will. <laughs> Excellent. But if you want to um, see the scores in the table, we've got them all over at Comicosity, so our mate Aaron will be updating those as we give them to him. So look for that in the next day or two, or in the past, if you're doing listening to this in the future a long way. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, that's about all for this uh, episode. Um, So, Matt, where can people find you if they want to um, get in touch or uh, talk Young Justice with you? Sure. I'm on Twitter. I am the underscore watch. That's W-O-T-C-H. I made that Twitter account basically to talk about comics. I throw video game and other comments in there once in a while, but I love talking comics. So, yeah. Me too. That's what I do with my Twitter account. Yeah, okay. So people can hit you up there. Um, Next time on the show, I think it's... uh, Well, we're doing a Waiting for Doom after this one, I believe, or perhaps we won't. But the next uh, event, as you said, it's Our Worlds at War from 2001. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've started reading it. I admit I'm actually really enjoying it a lot more than I remember. Well, good. 
I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, I don't mean to color I don't mean to color your opinion. <laughs> but I'm not all the way through it. I will clarify that. And, I, and to be fair, I haven't gone back to it since 2001, so <laughs> I might not be remembering it as well as it actually is. Okay, well we'll find out next time. So if you want to get in touch in touch with us, you can get in touch at DCOCDcast on the Twitter, and also send you can send us emails to DCOCDcast at gmail.com. So thanks very much, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me ramble. <laughs> no worries. Hope you uh, your first podcasting experience wasn't too scary, and it's uh, a gateway to many more. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. For the writing, I'm quite torn on this point. The some, somewhat simplistic blah, 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 blah. <sighs> there was a definite style for most of the stories, exemplified by Mike Weiringo's... Weiringo's? I can't say that name. What? Weiringo's. Weiringo's. But then there's favorites of mine, like Scott Collins doing Wonder Girls and Norm Brayfogle doing a little bit for the Titans. And Carbos Bar- 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 that's another name I can't say. Carlos Barberi. I guess my DCOCD does not include being able to pronounce names. All right, back on just a little bit. But the real shocker was the horribly angry Clarion, bum bum bum, The Witch Boy by Michael Avon Ehring. I'd been in, t- I can't say that name either. What the heck? All right, let's try this. Michael Avon Oming. Michael Avon Oming. Michael Avon Oming went down to the seashore. No, that doesn't work. Now for some Waiting for Doom sound bites. At this stage, feeling burned out. <gasps> dun, dun, dun! Do I get a pony now?